Alrighty, Pints of Popcorn podcast coming at you with Fargo. Uh, so, the usual spoiler warning, if you haven't seen the 1996 classic from the Coen brothers, Fargo, then do go and watch it before you come back and listen to this one. Um, definitely one of those movies that um, there's a few spoilers in, in the podcast discussion and uh, one that you definitely want to go into without having those spoilers. So, uh, do go and watch Fargo if you haven't seen it. Then definitely come back to us. Um, also, just want to mention that Shay... Uh, well, we both, it's fine some popcorn. We have some beers. Uh, Shay felt guilty that he, he thought he had a few too many on the podcast and messaged me today and said, just let them know I am very, uh, that I apologize for being drunk. But it's the podcast. It's fine some popcorn. It's having a bunch of beers and chatting movies, and it's um, a great pod. And so he's got no reason to apologize, but he just felt bad. So um, I'm putting it out there uh, for him as he uh, as requested. But it's a great pod, great discussion on what is one of uh, both of our favorite movies. So let's get. Right into it. You're right there, Shay. Oh, I just think I'm gonna barf. Well, that passed. Now I need a beer again. Once upon a time. Looks like she's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Yeah, you got that right. There was a salesman called Jerry Lundergaard. Oh, okay, real good then. Who always dreamt of striking it rich. Wait, have you had a chance to think about that deal I was talking about, those 40 acres there in Wyzetta? Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. No, no, but see, I... <laughs> so, we all set on this thing, then? You want your own wife kidnapped. <laughs> now, her dad, he's real well off, so why don't you just ask him for the money? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's something hard, geez. It's terrible. But in a place called Fargo... Mr. Lundegaard, I'm a police officer. I'm not Brainerd. Investigating some malfeasance. Anything can happen. How's Jean? Who's Jean? Ah! My wife. Oops! With all due respect, Jerry, I don't want you mucking this up. What the heck do you mean? No Jean, no money! Who are you? Circumstance that changed, Jerry. What do you mean? Blood has been shed, Jerry. Here's the second one. I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. Can you be any more specific? He wasn't circumcised. Jeez, that's a good thing. Yeah. From the creators of Barton Fink. I'm cooperating here. And there, there's no, uh... And Raising Arizona. What have you fellas got yourself mixed up in? Oh, jeez. You're there in 30 minutes where I find you, Jerry, and I shoot you, and I shoot your wife, and I shoot all your little children, and I shoot all the back of the little kids. You got it? You should see the other guy. Oh, jeez. Fargo. End of story. Alrighty, find some popcorn back for another week and uh, Shay just doing a big old Oktoberfest chug because it is, wait, hold on, what what month are we in? It's still September, never mind. It's almost October. It's Oktoberfest in our hearts and in, and in Shay's house right now as you're, it's ta- that took you a while. This is a 16 ounce can. <laughs> I didn't realize it was full when you started. <laughs> I thought you were just finishing off of the dregs of a can and then... It so just... did I. I got confused there. All right. <laughs> When did we start? Is it started yet? Yeah, it started. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. I can't. <laughs> oh, you betcha. I can't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're you're as bad at 
the northern midwestern accent as i am with australian accents which if you want to hear my bad australian accent listen to any pod we've done since then <laughs> since then since what since the start of it <laughs> yeah since um because i think this is uh well I just, oh, fuck it's the 19th or 20th i have no idea uh, we're, we're about to hit 20 i think on the episode count um so that's pretty we can almost drink <laughs> thank god <laughs> <laughs> we can almost drink. Um, so well, right now, right now we're drinking. Well, no, I I'm in Australia, so I'm drinking legally for podcast age. But you're you're just um you know just a college kid getting the uh, getting the older guys to get you a keg. Yeah, you know, uh, like Scotty going to McDonald's. McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, I could, I was, was trying to riff. I was trying to riff <laughs> off that, and I couldn't. I literally froze because. The last like six podcasts we've done, I well probably not, maybe four. I was sober and I was just like, yeah, you know, you're so much sharper. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm back in it. It's Oktoberfest. Um, That's why I like having beers because it's an excuse for me to be not that good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say about my life. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, That's why like when like uh, tomorrow per se like uh you know it's a monday afternoon when liverpool and arsenal play but it's just like well i'm drunk by kickoff it's like well yeah my favorite soccer team is playing it's just like, <laughs> it's just like oh god that game's at 4 30 in the morning for me i completely forgot that game was coming oh yeah that's um yeah we'll talk about it off here for <laughs> sure because i have things to say <laughs> not not really but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I haven't drank on the podcast for a while. I don't think. Like, yeah, there was, a, there, was a, there was a stretch there of a few episodes there because I still got um I got to drop the lobster one today because I completely. I, well, by the time this gets dropped, they'll yeah. be out. It, it's no, gonna be I mean, it's gonna be two it's gonna be a two a two episode drop. I'm just gonna drop both and let let the fans have. Well, the lobster's already out, right? No, I forgot to. Well, I was gonna upload it the other night, and then you heard the off air my my work incidents over the last couple of days. <laughs> right, I didn't know. It. Yeah, yeah. It well, was... if you ever need me to drop episodes, you let me know. Yeah, this I... is a little behind the scenes for y'all. Yeah, um, it's literally just uploading the file and typing in the description and clicking a button, and that's like it would have taken me about half an hour last night, and I just my headspace wasn't there. So, <laughs> well, I was sober for all of the. Uh, September podcast. Yeah, where we right, did, so where we're where talking book smart, love of basketball, uh, Babadook, and Hello High Water. That four episode stretch. Yeah. Right. Hello High Water did not Which, fit the exact same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah, just the the last four episodes. Um, which Hello High Water is going to. But be. Subset, yeah. Yeah. So there's there's so, a, there's a preview for everyone. Hello High Water is coming up after Lobster and uh, Fargo. I hadn't even mentioned. Well, Fargo. I assume it'll be up before this one again. Yeah. <laughs> like we're not live. I don't even know anymore. Time is a flat <laughs> circle. I'm just gonna smash this. Can. We're not live. I mean, I love Hello High Water. I love that podcast. I was. Mm. I think I was sober for that one. Yeah, this is right. embarrassing. This is like a goddamn, um, god. Oh, right. at, at, at this move point, forward. I've been point, drinking. At this point, anyone that's listening is intervention. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> I was like, this is like a goddamn intervention for me. It's like, uh, yeah, I was sober for this one and that one. And David's just sitting there, like, yeah, they were better than what we're dealing with right now. <laughs> but no, no, no. 
we're about to be better than we were. And I think Hell or High Water should have been one where I was drinking, but yeah, some you know, I th- I do think it was a great pod regardless. Mm-hmm. And um, I think moving forward with the films we kind of have planned, me drinking moving forward is going to be fun. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I got a movie I'm going to throw at you in the next next couple episodes. That I think you really enjoy, but uh, the Babadook too. <laughs> Baba Ducata. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, <laughs> how does it Baba Duke harder than the first one? I don't know. I don't know. How do you die harder than the first one? <laughs> Kill two dogs, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> All right, we haven't even announced the movie we're doing. I met, I said Fargo at some point in the middle of a sentence, but yeah, we're talking about Fargo today. <laughs> You see, you, it's been so long since I've been drinking on a podcast that you forgot that I interrupt you, like, never yeah, ending. I forgot how to, I forgot how to keep the train, <laughs> train of thought that is inevitably going to come at some point on the rails. Um, I don't, I'm also, oh, wow, I've also just cracked, I've, yeah, I've also just cracked, cracked a beer at like 10 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it's, um, you know, this is, this is what it is. It's find some popcorn. As I lean away for a burp, because I don't want to get... I thought that was going to be a sneeze, but it's coronavirus. It was a burp. Well, I think I'm going to barf. No. <laughs> hey, you guys already heard that? Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, we... Uh, it's... I, I'm, su- I'm so. kind of surprised that, like, you and me, probably when we started talking about doing this podcast, the Cohen brothers were near the top of our list of... Um, always. Filmmakers, yeah. always, sure. just because we both have such a reverence for their work. Um, I'm surprised it actually took us this long to get there, but um, we well, it's so hard. Yeah, because I think half I think I've thrown we've thrown the movies back and forth a few times, and then we settle settle on other ones. I think it's partly because you just don't want to you don't want to do everything that you you love the most straight away, because then you're like, oh shit, you don't want to <laughs> blow your clip. Yeah, because because then you're going to be like 50 episodes in and doing Babadook to Babadook Carter. So. <laughs> well, that is my film, and we will be doing it. Um, it's in post. It's in post. Um, <laughs> That's what you say when you just don't know where the, where the movie's at. You just say it's in post. We're having it's issues. in post. We're having issues. Um, it's just in post. <laughs> no, I mean the Coens. You could pick anything, but I do think um, before we really get into it, I do think that Fargo is their best film mm. when it really comes down to it. I, I can't see a better film in there. And they've made a number of great films. Yeah. That deserves to, that we will do at some point, but I do think Fargo is at the moment their best film. Mm. That's a, that's a tough one for me. I think because no country is probably my, my most, re- no country's amazing. Yeah. And that's my most rewatched, but I guess, I guess it depends what because you know no country is obviously an adaptation and, and a brilliantly brilliantly done ad- adaptation from a brilliant yeah maybe that's where I like d- the disconnect happens for Whereas me Fargo of like, is more why of like Fargo an, is better yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree in that sense yeah um and they've they've certainly they're adept to whatever they put their minds to they can really do because um you know True Grit as an adaptation as well as um, um just a, oh, uh, yeah just brilliant we've talked about that on air I think. That true grit. We might the remake have, is better, way better than the yeah. original. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about it when I'm sure we'll do true grit at some point in in the hundreds or something like that because we're just gonna spread out. Not the, the John Wayne one though. No, no. Well, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't even watch the John Wayne one. They just adap- adapted it straight from the book. So, which I've got the book. All right, book. I didn't know that. So that's dope. Yeah, they, I they, seen like John they, Wayne one either, but that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I remember my dad being like, "Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly the same as John Wayne one." I was like, "Well, the Coens hadn't even seen that one for like twenty years. They they literally just took the book and adapted it from the book, which is what they should have done. Which you know, it's not a remake. Right. So I haven't read the book that No Country is based on, 
But uh, Fargo is definitely not based on a book. Um, it's based on a couple of cases, which yeah. we'll get to. Like, have really no overall merit on the storyline. Yeah, it's more like <laughs> honestly more specific details. You know, like the um, the car, the like the use of cars to you know, and VIN numbers to get loans and stuff like that was like you know one one and then one story and then the wood chipper which I, I will talk about a bit more at length of that story later because that's fascinating and also <laughs> also very close to Shay right now um <laughs> uh, right yeah. but yeah it's um it's a brilliant use of and that's what you know a lot of uh, i listen to a lot of podcasts and i listen to screenwriting ones and just writing ones in general just because i enjoy writing and um like to hear about and there's a lot of a lot of writers say just find something in the news like the littlest headline um and write a story out of it. And that's kind of what they've done here. They've taken a couple of details. like Absolute novel uh, on screen, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's a novel. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's how great as writers that the Coen brothers are, is that they really, like, story, there's, um, I mean, we'll get into a few of the details, but just, just the little details of the story is what you expect. Like, you know, the, the, the scenes that don't make sense at first, maybe, but then when you look back in the story and how it went, you realize how, it, you know, I'm talking like the the Mike Yanagata. Is that his name? <laughs> um, like, yeah, yeah. Like that, well, the Coen brothers say, and I'm dropping this earlier than I thought I would, but they they like to add a scene into their films that has nothing to do at all with, and like for, okay, sorry, but, but, I interrupted but, but, but myself. But, yeah, sorry. um, like a scene that doesn't have anything to do with the plot they love having like you know they love dedicating like 10 minutes to that mm. in their films because that has nothing to do with it but it just has something to do with the character yeah, and I'm... so obviously it does have something to do with the film but like it also has nothing to do with the like broader like so yeah the yeah Mike but that's what tr- that's what actual stories have... that's what actual story is is um story 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 is that character is plot and plot is like you know they're, they're interlinked so even if that has nothing to do with it like i mean i mean that's i guess yeah we've we've jumped to it early but and you, you've read the well game. the mic scene is yeah but it like it's yamamoto i think yamamoto something like that uh, it's i i hate that i i literally have the i've got the list i should just look at it now uh where is it Yanag- yanagita I was close. Yeah, Nagita. Yeah, and that, uh, brilliant, brilliantly. Our bad, and we weren't trying to be like be racially insensitive or no, anything. No, it's just like, like, I, it's just like yeah. Um, but that scene, like, it kind of like is uh, it's really important to the development of um, Frances McDormand's Marge that she realizes, you know, once she finds out the details from the other friend that she's on the phone with about Mike and his his issues. Um, and there's no judgment really to Mike. It's more that like I think it's mentioned that he has he's struggling with some mental health like mental health issues, which is kind of absolutely. Ahead, ahead I'm sure we'll get to that. Super ahead of its being time. Like too. That, that's the crux of the film to me, honestly. Yes, is like because People, it leads to Marge becoming aka Francis McDormand becoming the the sheriff that she should be. I guess. Yeah, she she realized, in that moment she realizes that the the um that. You know, trusting trusting people in play because at first she's trusted what J- Jerry's word um, when she's had that brief interview with him, and then she realizes after that that she she needs to re-question him and that and, people lie. Yeah, and that. And oh, that sorry, I had a frog in my throat. Maybe a you know, maybe a slushy. 
out <laughs> up there from Fargo. <laughs> that on that. But yeah, she realized people could lie yeah. at that point, and like that's what makes this film so great. And we will get to it. I probably pretty soon. I would assume, because it this film really is just good versus evil. I think, and yeah. everything is presented with the same cookie cutter facade of the Midwest yeah. or the Northern Midwest in this sense, which is, you know, just a bunch of people who seem like they're innocent, but you know. Yeah, oh, I, and I I see it as um, it's not. I mean, it's good versus evil, but it's also the fact that it's kind of a gray area too. Is that like, you know, good people can be um imperfect as well, like Mike and. Even even what you know, Marge went there dressed up, you know, kind of. You know, well, I wouldn't say Jerry's evil either. You no, know what I mean, I th- I just think he. I, I mean, mean, I think he's he's just a piece of shit, really. Like to do go, go, like, <laughs> right, it's not like evil. yeah, he's not he's not like you know Darth Vader evil, not classically evil. Like like the henchmen he hired were pretty pretty bad dudes. Um, you know, Carl. Kind of, but they those. Those dudes who aren't like well, other than um, well, they're cold blooded. The ser- actor's name I should have looked up before the pod, and I fucked it up. I was I. Uh, you mean the Steve Buscemi's uh, partner? Yeah, like Peter Peter Stormare. Yeah, I love that actor. He's, been He's amazing. Yeah. He is evil, and Steve Buscemi is evil. <laughs> in but I don't think Jerry Lundergaard is evil. I think he's just the guy who's in over his head but like what the coens do so great about making a film that you can watch over and over again is that we don't know why jerry is in over his head and has to hire two fucking awful people yeah we never know it's never even hinted at why that is and so it's just or that the or the fact and yeah he uses shep to like get these guys but like it all seems very like I don't know the word for it. It well, all just seems very natural. Go ahead. Yeah, natural. Yeah, because yeah, you just dropped in, like, and that's what great, again, great storytelling is. Is when you're dropped into um, a situation in a film, it's not like, you know, you don't want to f- have it feel like these characters' lives have just begun as soon as you're dropped in there. Like we see that Norman. Yeah, but people. Yeah, people and then, hate and, that. Yeah, and people so, complain about that, but it's so fucking annoying because it's like, and it's uh, all right. Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. There's some I'm people derailing your point, and I interrupted. No, you, no, but you, like... you're, you're right though. Some people want to know every detail about characters. It's like that's not the point. Like we just got to understand there's a backstory to characters, and like, and then let the story tell. Like we don't need to know what we just assume that Jerry's had a cycle in of deep. Uh, cycle of He's bad cycle of bad deals. Is that he that and he and he rather than ask for help as. As he probably should have, just, even if he, he's just so so scared of his father-in-law, because his father-in-law clearly doesn't respect him, and probably for good reason. <laughs> right, and his father-in-law is a piece uh, of shit, and like a piece of shit that everybody from the Midwest and probably everywhere else knows. But like, he's so Midwestern to me because he has the guy. He has his little um, Stanley uh, if you want to call it what it is, um, uh, when not like referencing the mafia but like he has his little guy there telling jerry like everything like he has his little guy there you know so it's like i don't know it's this film is extremely midwestern yeah and so i like which you you're you're gonna have an affinity for that i won't because you you're obviously 
well, not from the exact area. It's not an affinity. It's more of a yeah, yeah. You're Sorry, right. a, a, con- a connection to like a, 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 a like a understanding of yeah. I mean, it's just a thing where like I could understand how this film wouldn't be liked by like a lot of people in this country, but like if you're from the Midwest, it it dials into, and I get obviously I'm from the Midwest. People in the Midwest won't. It won't click over for them either because they're not smart. I'm sorry. I'm from the Midwest. I understand it. But, like, the people who understand this film, like, it's hard for them to connect with, like, how real the characters are in this story, which is why I think this movie is a film that needs to be rewatched over and over again. And I think it's the Coen Brothers' best film because they capture a character... And not a character of a person, but of a region mm-hmm. of the United States. And yeah, it's northern from where I'm from. And it, yeah, this absolutely does not capture South Dakota and Missouri and Kansas and Nebraska, where I'm from. But it captures what people are generally like there. Yeah. And it captures people so perfectly. And that's what makes this film great, in yeah. my opinion. And and it's the good and bad of it too, because you've obviously got um some very you know like through the there's a lot of bad guys in this movie, but you got you know Marge and Norma just two lovely people really like. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bad people everywhere. Yeah, though. you know that's what that, I yeah. think that's the point of the movie too. It's yeah. like Yeah, I don't even know if these guys. I didn't. I should have probably like you know these hitmen or you know mercenaries they're definitely not from yeah you're listening i was assuming the accents were very obviously very deliberate in this movie and you know steve buscemi is very much not not of this area and um seems like new york and um the the actor garrett um peter sorry yeah yeah he's he's yeah peter um he's like he seems eastern european as he does in every film that he's ever in. He yeah. seems very Eastern European, <laughs> which is fine. But yeah, he, I mean, he's extremely intimidating. The whole film is like, I don't know. In my opinion, yeah, like we kind of already talked about, it. it's about good versus evil. Yeah. He's from Sweden, by the way, just so I was just like out of interest just to see where he was exactly from. So he's your boy. <laughs> My, but yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I wish I had that blonde hair. I bet so does he, because it was definitely <laughs> bleached in Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, the film. I think it, it's so hard, you know, for you and I to really say how impactful this film was because it came out in '96, whereas like we're talking about it in 2020. Mm-hmm. In 1996, films weren't made like this at all. Films weren't, you know, films had their, you know, their ba-da-ba-da-ba. This film is way different. You don't get to meet the protagonist of this film until the second act. Like, you, I mean, it's just a mind-blowing film, and it deserve, deserves all the accolades it got. Yeah, well, I, it, I, I stopped the... I stopped the clock when you finally see Francis McDormand, I think, and I've forgotten, obviously, because I was watching last night with Beers. Um, but... Um, Beers! Pints of popcorn on brand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think it was like about 34 minutes in or something like that. You finally, like when she's waking up in bed. Like, so you got the first half Ab- hour, yeah. of, uh, half it's, hour of a very um, short, snappy it's film. It's the start man. of the second. It's the start of the second. Yeah. And like, so, you know, and, but she, and then she's very much in the movie for the rest of the film. But um, yeah, it's the first half hour is the story of the hitman and the, and the, uh, and the Lunder guards, basically. Um, and then, you know, Francis McDormand. I forgot out. that when I was rewatching it recently. Yeah. It's just like, wow, this is like, that's, I mean, maybe that's what makes it so great is like after you watch it the, and then you rewatch it again, you're like, wow, I can't believe how long it takes to get to like what is actually happening in the film. Yeah, and like I, the procedural. I, I think that's it, great yeah. filmmaking. It's like, I, I wish I could go back to that first time that I saw this, which I was like, I mean, it was over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw Fargo, though. I will never forget it. I was sitting on my couch, like watching it. When I was 20 years old, he goes, you know, you like film when you're 20 years old. Oh, wait, you like film. Sorry, I'm doing quote fingers and I did them wrong. Um, <laughs> you like film when you're 20. And so you're like, oh, you wouldn't need to see everything that, you know, that you've heard everybody has seen at that point. So you watch it at 20 and you're like, and I was just like, I wish I could go back and just be completely blown away. By this film, like I was in 2009 or 2010, because so so many people have taken from it and like made it their own in the last decade of film, that it doesn't seem that important anymore. But the first time I saw this film, it blew me away. Yeah, it absolutely blew me away. See, this is what's interesting is um you've you've watched it. You you said today um. That you were rewatching it, even though you could probably, you know, you know, like the back of your hand kind of thing. Whereas I hadn't actually, seen I do, it. I hadn't yeah. actually seen it in about a decade because it's one of those ones that, like, I, I rewatch No Country kind of semi regularly, probably once or twice a year. Just it's one of those movies I throw on. Fargo is just one that I hadn't, and mate, and it's interesting. Like when I first watched it, it was with my dad when I was seventeen or eighteen. I think it was on TV, and it actually was underwhelming to me. And it was probably because of ad breaks and hype. It's not even actually high for me because as a 17, 18 year old in South Australia, not many people I knew had actually seen it. It was just a movie that my dad was like, I think I remember enjoying it. And dad was, and, and so I enjoyed it, but I kind of liked the, the pacing of it. You know, it was on free to air TV. So ad breaks and stuff, I was just like, yeah, it was fine. It was just, it, to me, it felt like very procedural and I didn't, but I didn't probably sit there and watch it close enough with the character stuff. And then I remember watching it a few years later again and being like, okay, I, I see what the hype is again. But then I hadn't seen it since then, and so now, ten years later, when we go to watch it, I'm like, and I've, I've, I've kind of meant to go back and watch it because I'm like, I've since then, you know, obviously fallen in love with the Cohen, the rest of the Cohen's, um, you know, filmography. Basically, I was even, I was even going to try and watch rewatch Blood Simple, which is their debut film, um, before this podcast. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. It's, it's, re- it's really good, and so, and that's kind of there's a similar, like there's a very much the the small town similarity to to the Fargo that I wanted to. I just didn't get a chance to rewatch it. Young Francis McDormand in that yeah, one as well. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, you know, rewatching. So for me, rewatching this now is my mind blowing moment because I rewatched it and like, and having the years in me of probably just growing up and um, unstupefying myself from my my youth. Um, hey, we all have and, to do that. Yeah, hey, and, we all know, do. And life experience, and then just enjoying and uh, like having a just actually just sitting down to watch a movie with with a 
a trained eye to what you're looking for. I was like this, like watching it um, last night and this morning was just like the mind, my mind blown moment with Fargo. Even though I knew, I kind of knew it was coming because I knew I would watch, I'd, I'd appreciate it more with 10 years down the track from my first few viewings. Um, and yeah, I'm really, it's just the subtlety and the details, the acting, like Francis McDormand, that's what I didn't appreciate probably when I was 20 was like Francis McDormand, um, and now, because I've probably, and again, Absolutely. I've seen her in so many more roles since then, because that might have been my first, I can't remember what other, she's obviously done lots of movies, but now knowing her, her, all her her different movies, you know, obviously Three Billboards, are another great movie that she uh, put in a... Yeah, I almost brought that up earlier. We'll talk about it later. That's very, seems like a very good companion movie for this one too. Um, uh, Absolutely. And um, I think it's because like people are like, oh, like... Oh, I can't really relate to this film because uh, I don't believe like the setting, and it's like, no, this is what reality is actually actually like, and we'll get into whatever. I don't want to talk about that right now. We'll get into it way later yeah. if we get. But like, I love Three Billboards, and um, we will talk about we will do Three Billboards yeah. on this podcast because you and I both liked it, and mm. we will talk about it. But like. Yeah, Francis like McDormand. the detractors of this film who are like, oh, I don't really like believe people are really like this. Like they kind of were with three billboards. It's like, no, absolutely. People are like this. This is yeah. like they absolutely captured what it's like. And the Coens didn't do three bill three billboards either. Mm. You know, it's like there are people outside of, you know, California and New York. And I live on the East Coast and I believe more in the cultural bias yeah. of the code. But like, yeah, people live, but I'm from, <laughs> you know, three billboards. I'm from the far, I'm not technically from the Fargo area, but I know Fargo. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's closer to me than Los Angeles when I was growing up, if that makes any sense. So it's like, yeah, it's all like, if you want to like poke holes in the storyline, live a year in it and see what it's actually like because yeah. it's very real They're like all of this shit really could have happened yeah and, that's and i know it says it happens at the start of the film and it actually doesn't but that's fun too it's like yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's what, like i like i like based on a true story because you, you it doesn't actually matter how much of the story you take if it literally is based on a true story because they take a couple of details and then and then fabricate it around it. So it's based. It's not. It's not. This is a. You know. And there's a. There's um differences. Did they say this is a true story or based on a true story? Either way, they said no. That, they said it's based on a true story yeah. because they do it with their TV show too. Well, whatever. Like the TV show on FX, which is debuting tonight, which is why we're doing this film. Um says like at the start of everything like this is based on a true story mm. uh, the names and dates have been changed to honor or, oh man to protect, I fucked it it's up. like yeah the, the name, yeah. names and the dates have been changed to honor the honor the deceased but the, the events have been kept something like that yeah the events have been kept the exact same um, yeah yeah just, it's to protect and to honor or something like that. But yeah, um, I mean, but like that, like that's another thing. Is like that at the start of a movie in 1996, and you read that for the first time when you go to watch this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't care when you watch it today. 
yesterday in 2010 when you were six, uh, 17 or whenever the, you read that for the first time that fucking gets you mm. that fucking kills that's amazing and that's co- the Coens right there yeah is they're like because Fargo the TV series uses it before every season and every season you forget it you forget that that's what it what they did before the film and then the season happens and you see it at the start of it regardless of how they present it whether it's in a book or like on a screen or whatever they do the exact same text and you're just blown away by like how impactful that is Mm. it's like hey we're telling you a story right now we're changing the names but this is real and yeah the stories aren't real but you watch it it's, but it's, watching it, that it, and reading that, you feel like it's real. It's like it's, it's it, an ironic storytelling thing because you, you you even though you know, it's just like when you hear those words, it does a subconscious thing. It's like, okay, I know they're kind of fucking with me, but I'm in. <laughs> it's just. I mean, I think like they're not like. I and, and what they said for was, American, and, and I can't remember if we said this off air or on air. They said that even if it's not a true story, it's something that could be, and that's what is the real effect of it. Is like. This I think is, that was off air. Yeah, yeah, but they yeah. they say that like we're telling a story that, um, even though it's not exactly true to detail, it's a story that very much could be true if someone decided like because it's something that crazier shit has happened. Yes, exactly. So like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, there is when you read like you listen to some of those true. I don't know like a true crime buff or anything, but I've occasionally seen documentaries and stuff. When you see some of the what actually happens out there, it's just like, you know, the events of Fargo are very scarily not uh, the craziest th- not nearly the craziest thing i've seen in a documentary or whatever so um, exactly or yeah. like anything and like everybody's so goddamn obsessed with fucking true crime and everything it's like so who even cares if it's real like or unsolved mysteries is the big new thing yeah, it's I like yeah, oh everybody's obsessed with unsolved mysteries it's like well there's no Whatever, I whatever. It's just an amazing film and an amazing TV series as well that was based off of it, which I can't believe is good, but it is great. But it's great. It's amazing. That's probably why so I hadn't like, started on the TV show yet. Is because I was like, you know, when someone starts a TV show based on a movie from you know twenty years ago, and you're like, how are you gonna? Move? And I kind of like my memories of the movie. I was like, "How are you pulling a TV show out of this? Like, are you planning to go seasons?" But they've they've done it, and I'm gonna. I haven't watched any of it yet. But now that I've heard so many good things, and it's it's very to, frustrating. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into it later on. I'm gonna start tonight. But I literally watched it from the start, not to be hipster about it or whatever. But you know, I will be because I I mean, so, I'm gonna be says the guy dialed into he, that lane regardless. Wearing where his Winona like, Ryder's t-shirt and not trying to be hipster. Well, I wore this because I was rooting for the Las Vegas <laughs> Raiders today. <laughs> um, uh, I can't. But, <laughs> it's, just, it's cam season. <laughs> but the first season came out when I was in Eugene. Our senior year, the first season came out. Is that how long out. it's been going? Fuck, I thought it was... 2014. I, I, I thought it started yeah. when I was back in Australia, but okay. No, 2014, it started um, with Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman um, playing... Two amazing actors. Right, absolutely, but um, actually, Martin Freeman plays um, Lundergaard in the I, in a different way. I, like, I mean, I like that. I like I love Martin Freeman, but I can see he does have the like 
All right. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything for yeah, you. Yeah, don't spoil anything because I want to. I want to watch it properly in the first season. But yeah. like the first, like that's why the first season was like, what are they trying to do? But they did it well, and then they got a second season, and then the third season, and both those seasons are great. They're finding the finding their finding their uh, feet. Right. The first season is definitely supposed to be like. I mean, it happened so long ago. Like mm. the first season, and I mean, we graduated college a long time ago. Sadly, yes. Like. <laughs> Yeah, sadly, yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, the reason we're doing this whole podcast is because the fourth season of the show is coming out Mm -hmm. um, tonight, actually. Um, But I think the reason that it was able to spawn a series that is, you know, taken over, hasn't really taken over. I think it's still niche. In its way, I, I I mean I think it takes a brain to understand it, but um, well, you know, a... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a show that is like has made four seasons now in the U.S. with a bunch of famous actors is you know what what it took was the idea, the thesis behind everything, the movie, the show, everything. Is something that people can understand, which is that, and you know, maybe I don't even really understand it, but it's just a thing where it's like somebody striving in this country for something better than they really have, mm-hmm. but also greed on the other hand of that. It's just like it just shows everything, and the film really laid the groundwork for the show which led to you know the lundergaard ideal of greed it's just pure greed versus good like it's just greed and the people like francis mcdormand margie trying to fight it like that's the bottom line i mean if you want to break down every single show or like impactful film you could all tie it back to that. It's just somebody trying to break down somebody who is trying to take their greed a little bit too far. Yeah, and I, like, I mean, Frances McDormand lays down, lays it down in that um, you were talking about the great scenes of her, just like, like the close-up focus shot of her in the cop car. The when she figures it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah or yeah, not yeah. figures it out, but figures out that good what she perceives as good people can lie. Yeah. Oh, it's even though like later in the film when she's driving, um, driving gear away in the, and he's, she's got him locked up in the back and she just says, you know, the lovely day. Yeah. <laughs> Not lovely day. Sorry. That it's going way back to one of our other podcasts. Yeah. And it's just such a nice day. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like, and then she's just like, you know, there's more, she's, there's more to life. You know, you did this all for money and you know, there's more to life than money. And then like, she goes home and, Cuddles up to Norm, and there's a there's a subtext. Of Norm, Norm MVP. Free um, scent painting. Yeah, the mallard. <laughs> I love a mallard. Oh yeah, a ducks. Go ducks. Um, Go ducks. <laughs> uh, but you know, like there's a. Uh, I mean, I'll talk about this quickly for a second. There's a subtext in the movie of like they're they're very happy as a couple, but they're also kind of in their their. Uh, you know, in in the going through the motions a little bit, like you know, they she's pregnant and uh, they kind of just. But then you see, you see even when they're falling asleep in bed earlier in the night and like Norm's asleep already and she's like, all right, I'm going to turn in. And he's like, uh, 
And then at the end of the movie, she really cuddles up, and you can see there's a genuine love there, and it's always been there. It's just she's found a new appreciation for him and what he does by realizing how shitty everyone else is. It's made her realize how through his own, through her own power. Yes, honestly. yes, exactly. Yeah, and she, like she realized, you know, she goes out for dinner with this Mike guy. She's like, you know, for a second is like, oh, he's got it all together, and it's like it's all terrible, and he's a liar. And then she finds out all these details, obviously, and works out the case i'm jumping through all that quickly here just to get to the point about norm but then she you know lays in bed we're not trying to spoil movies here well we're just trying there's a spoiler alert at the start of the pod so um exactly but um yeah then she gets into bed with norm and cuddles up and smiles and you know says oh no three cents really good and people still need those it's like people still need people that aren't greedy that are just there to be happy in life and it's like there's a lot more to that line than just that it's just like this world doesn't hey, it's amazing. This world Nor- does, like this, he doesn't get it. Yeah, he's just like he's, oh, just, he's still he's like, just like bored, he's but- just like okay, cool. I'm happy with my three. Like you know, because he's just doing what he can to get by, and they're happy. They're happy. Maybe you know they're not. They don't have like you know she's having a jump start a cop car and like um you know Brawler needs a jump. <laughs> <laughs> you can do the accent a lot better than me. Fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, You've heard uh, a lot of my bad accents <laughs> on this podcast before, if you're listening to it. So, yeah, yeah. this is actually one of my good ones. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like it's it's like you see at the end of the film that there's so much about like there's a lot of things going on, but it's very much a, like a character study into how sometimes you fall into things and wondering if the you know the, the is like the grass is always greener thing, which is why Jerry's fallen into this hole, and then like even because he's part, he's got a, a wife that's loving and happy at home. And, like, he just doesn't appreciate it at all, whereas, like, the other thing, you know, whereas, you know... Uh, Mark, well, he appreciates it. I mean, he wakes up and gets her eggs, you know? No, I'm, ta- I'm, ramp, I'm, talk- I'm talking about Jerry. Oh, Nor- fuck Jerry. Yeah, no, Jerry's I'm saying... Like the, Jerry's, got, Jerry's very bad. Sorry, I got... Yeah, yeah Jerry's got, got like, a, a pretty... What looks like a pretty lovely home. Um, You know, a wife that's happy sitting at home watching her, watching her shows and knitting. Like, not that... You know, but if that's what she's happy doing and he's, like, he's got a schmick... Sh- schmick job at a car dealership working for his even if his father-in-law doesn't respect him he's still giving him a fucking good job so like so he's right and like is that that. a thing now that i've watched this film so many times is like is her dad like the guy that runs those car dealerships or is it a completely different business i think it it might be just one of his and maybe i think it's he said he says something about his father-in-law being yeah and it's Gust- it's isn't it? I mean, his father-in-law is rich. It's for Gu- sure. It's Gustafson Motors, and his name is Wade Gustafson. Oh, so, all right, yeah, all right, yeah. All right. So, so I'm overthinking. Yeah, but he, so he he's probably thinking. got his hand like with like the way they're talking about those parking lots and and his and his talking with Stan Grath. I'd say he's like someone who has dealerships and then has other investments because that's what people. people yeah, let's do. talk about that. Like you know, before we go to break or yeah. whenever yeah. that's coming. But like, it's just like. That is one of the most Midwestern fucking scenes, um, in my opinion, of the film. That is extremely realistic and that like makes this film, this Fargo film, so realistic and that pe- maybe other people don't really get it when it comes to it. It's like that fucking... Oh my god. That dynamic between... Um, I can't. I don't know Jerry's um, father-in-law's name Wade. off the top of my head. Wade. Wade. Yeah. Wade, and then his underling, 
who is still older than Jerry somehow. That's so fucking Midwestern. The way they handle fucking everything. It's just I don't even so know if he's old. like a underling or if he's just like a, a associate that he trusts. Like a because he he's like I talk, like a deputy. Yeah, because he's like I talk to Stan, and, like, and you know Stan knows his stuff, and you know like this is he he he, he likes the numbers, and yeah, exactly. But like, imagine every single business in the entire Midwest and every business everywhere, really beyond everything. If we're moving beyond the film, is that every guy has his little deputy there that you're gonna have to deal with? Hmm. Like, I don't I don't traffic in that. You don't traffic in that. But like. Those are real people, and the scenes in Fargo with those two actors mm-hmm. are amazing. Those two actors sell that shit so perfectly. Yeah. The Coen brothers do such a great job of bringing in these people who sell these half-bit roles like it's their life. Oh, they cost their casting like those, is brilliant. Like, I've forever been brilliant with their films but yeah it seems like a documentary honestly fargo seems like a documentary when like if you don't know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean obviously we know francis mcdermott william h macy you know steve buscemi and everything but like you pull away from it those all seem like people who and the coens absolutely hang their hat on doing that like you said yeah and they're uh yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. I mean, I've already mentioned how great Frances McDormand's uh, performance was. Uh, he, uh, she won the Oscar for this one, didn't she? Yeah. Un- unknown. No, she did. I'm <laughs> drinking beer. Yeah, I literally, I, I literally it. was just pulling it up as we were talking. But yeah, she, uh, um, they got the original screenplay Oscar for this one as well. But yeah, um, you know, she got the, got it for this, and then she won again for Three Billboards, which um, I think when we were talking about it before, I did mean to mention that. Uh, it was uh she wasn't sure about doing three billboards. It's obviously a Martin McDonough film, but it was actually her, she's married to Joel Cohen, obviously. Uh, uh, yeah, and it was Joel Cohen who encouraged her to go ahead and do three billboards. So it's you know it, it, there's a lot of ties between both the thematic things about small town, um, I guess America and how people deal with good versus evil in those issues, that, as well as the fact. Well, that Dave Rockwell won that year as well. Yes, he I did. think. Yeah, he did. But um, which is has been widely criticized and i would love to god man i wish we had a, like a bigger platform and we could discuss it but we're two white guys and it's fine no we'll we'll, we'll, we'll discuss we'll, we'll talk about three billboards on another pod but yeah francis oh, mcdormand's billboards yeah francis dorman's performance in this was um I, I i i think i texted you when i was watching it she's just like adorable at times like just the way she's like her, her, little, yeah. her little wide-eyed smile, and like it's it's actually very like she's in, she's interrogating with her sweetness in like those scenes. She's like, you you don't need to get snippy with me, you know. Like, um, I'm just asking a question, you know. It's just, and she's doing doing it with like the smile, but she's very she's very smart. Like her character, um, it's such a great character building with her, and she's and again, it's just. Writing, oh, it's writing, I, I think writing the, and acting coming together because it's brilliantly written. But then she takes it to the level that only she could with her performance, um, with her um, expressions, her obvious like her, her work with the dialogue, and it was just a great acting performance. And um, obviously, very glad to see it got the award for the um, the Academy Award. But uh, yeah, just 
I it's one thing that I didn't appreciate when I watched it back in the day, but um, and as well as the other, act, you know, William H Macy, as much as he's um a piece of shit in the film, um, acts it very well. You know, hey man, that's good acting. Yeah, you know, is acting like a piece of shit is hard. <laughs> you know, or it should be for a lot of people. Yeah, but also when it comes to Frances McDormand, like she acted her ass off in this film, mm-hmm. like. And she stole the film. This, the film is about her yeah. when it really comes down to it. And you don't see her for the first third, third of the movie, yeah. if you really want to say it. Um, you know, the first 30 minutes, like we said. I think it is. Like, I think she it was really about comes 30, in her. 33 minutes is when it, come, pan, it goes to the shot of her waking up in bed. To the well, and, and the film's only an hour and 38 minutes long, yeah. which is the first time, the first time you watch Fargo. The fact that it's under two hours is wild. Because there's so much packed into it. Yeah. So she really stole. I mean, she deserved everything she got Mm. from it. But the fact that you don't see her for the first 30 minutes is wild. Yeah. When looking back on it. Yeah. It's it's such a. I guess as we go into the break, we can just mention how. I I I love a good three hour movie if it's got enough going on in it, but it is um it is Same. quite it yeah, is quite absolutely. a it is quite a feat to be out of because th- you know an hour and thirty eight movie is one that you will rewatch more, and when you can pack so much into it and make a film that is, you know, winning Academy Awards for screenplay writing, um you know, and a lot of you know when people are looking for screenplays, they're looking for between ninety ninety pages and one hundred twenty pages because you know not that it translates right. directly, but. You know, you don't want to be looking at a 300-page screenplay because you don't want to be looking at that longer movie. So to make such a, a snappy film like this, um, so well done with so much going on that is um, worthy of you know being you know being played at Cannes and and being nominated for Academy Awards for you know directing and film and 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 winning for act- actress and screenplay. You know, you don't see too many mo- like a lot of movies. Um, these days, and they're well worth their runtime. You know, two uh, two hours, two and a half hours. A lot of movies are worth that runtime, but they also most are. Yeah, yeah I mean that uh, uh, they, they get nominated, but you know, it is nice to be able to put on a movie. Especially when I was trying to watch this one in this in some limited time I had this week, it was very easy to throw on because it was like you you know you're not going to be sitting. You don't have to devote two and a half hours to watching the film. You can watch it for an hour and a half, and then and because sometimes when I'm watching a movie, I'll go back and watch a scene a couple of times. It's like you can do that with it and you know just to and to have a film entertain you so much and make you think about so much and in that amount of time is um and to have so many questions well not questions but just thoughts about how characters work and and development and story and just and and questions about you know the morality of characters that come out of an hour hour and a half movie where the protagonist is only in there for two thirds of it is, um, is yeah, it's just a great feat in filmmaking in general, just the whole process being able to write a film. Um, because you know, I'm sure they could have, and they've made plenty of longer films, I'm sure they would have loved, you know, there's plenty, plenty to explore with these characters. Yeah, this might be the shortest, yeah. obviously. Yeah, I'm trying to think what Blood Simple sits at, but I think that might have been longer, but um, uh, but yeah, it's just for a film like that to, uh, to do so much and us and be able to do that so quick uh, is very, it, it takes true professionals to um, obviously saying the Coen's a true professional. I think it's their best. Yeah. I think it's their best. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's their best. I, I honestly do. I, I obviously think no country for old men is obviously 
I said obviously like maybe five hundred times in the last sentence, but I do think that it's a gig is you a know, gig is a gig is a gig. Yeah, exactly. A good <laughs> film is a good film is a good film. Yep. Like uh, obviously, No Country is a great film, but like Fargo is when we. It might be their one A and one B, I guess, because like I, I now that you've mentioned knew what they could do. All yeah. right, we need to like. All right, we'll get to break, and I need to re <laughs> like. Sorry. You need, um, you need to find your center. Yeah. <laughs> That's all Because good. I yeah. know. We got, we got plenty to come after the break because there's like, you know, the cinematography. And I, I told you in, off, in text that I need exactly. to. Exactly. Oh, need, my God. Yeah, we're on the same page so hard. And, 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 uh, yeah, I just need to like, mute. but like, I can't. All right. All right. Let's go to break so we can uh, sh- shake and find a center and um, I can get another beer. <laughs> Let me find my center, please. Mr. Lundegaard. Sorry to bother you again. Can I come in? Yeah, no, I'm kind of I'm uh, kind of busy here. I understand. I'll keep it real short then. I'm on my way out of town, but I was wondering. Do you mind if I sit down? Carrying a bit of a load here. No. I... Yeah, it's this vehicle I asked about yesterday. I was just wondering. Yeah, like I told you, we haven't had any vehicles go missing. Okay. Are you sure? Because, I mean, how do you know? Because it's the crime I'm investigating. The perpetrators are driving a car with dealer plates. And they called someone who works here, so it'd be quite a coincidence if they weren't, you know, connected. Yeah, I see. So, how do you... Have you done any kind of inventory recently? The car's not from our lot, ma'am. But how do you know that for sure without doing a... Well, I would know. I'm the executive sales manager. Yeah, but I understand. We run a pretty tight ship here. I know, but... Well, how did they establish that, sir? I mean, are the cars counted daily, or what kind of a routine here? Ma'am... I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir. Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. And there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm... <laughs> I'm not... Uh... I- I'm not arguing here. I'm cooperating. And there's no, we're doing all we can. Sir, could I talk to Mr. Gustafson? Mr. Lundegaard. Well, heck, if you want to, if you want to play games here, I'm working with you on this thing here, but okay. I'll do a damn luck count. Sir, right now? Yeah, right now. You're darn tootin'. So damned important to you. What? I'm sorry, sir. Ah, oh, what the Christ. A second off. Two abs up here. Of the Fargo pod. Um, talked plenty in the first half about, I guess, the story and character and just how fucking amazing it is, really. Um it's i don't know if we talked at all about anything in the first half to be honest with you i like i regret a lot of it <laughs> i don't no, think good. i like you and i didn't say anything bad but like i just feel weird like i feel like we didn't attack the film enough because it is an amazing film well, it is a great film. yeah well we don't need to we, we yeah we don't need to attack it <laughs> We got into we got into some nuts and bolts. Well, that was a whole and, mental yeah. <laughs> idea I had going into it. 
yeah. that's a whole different um there's a lot of uh I mean obviously the career of the Collins um needs no explanation and and there's there, there's just a lot of great guys that have been involved in film for a long time and it's a great movie that has uh you know a lot of Cohen um regular collaborators collaborators I guess at this point you know um they first, said the tone yeah I mean first of all like Roger Deakins um the cinematographer the, just the way this film is m- looks is amazing and um I have this thing with I guess it's probably why I've grown up liking westerns a lot is like desolate sand landscapes can be beautiful in a weird way and it's the same with snow you know like it just in a way, yeah. Yeah. It's not beautiful in like a traditional I just mean on film it looks very it's it just gives you a stark and and it often leads to films like this with these dark, you know, dark tones and because you know I like, think a desolate atmosphere leads to yeah, a tone of um depravity yes. which this film yeah. leads to which a lot of the main characters of the film have which is they're all trying to be better than what they are, but it's like, well, you're just already all lost in this. I mean, I, and I think this film does it really well, just like Westerns do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music plays over, and then the scene sets, and when it sets, it's just a whitescape. Yeah. It's like you can hardly three, see through the s- snow, and if you're from the Midwest, you know you can see through that snow regardless but from up top it looks like you can't see through it at all and like that's your life now and kind of like a western in new mexico or texas or arizona or whatever you want to do um with the dust it's like yeah it's the exact same thing but they did it with the north and and they were the first people to do it with the north in my opinion like it's like that's so cool yeah and there's like um I, I when I was thinking about this earlier I was thinking about um another film that's far more recent but Wind River did a really good job of since, Wind River did yeah, a great like a great job of showing snowscapes and that kind of that kind of world as well and 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 the same kind of way that it's um it's harsh and desolate but beautiful in a in an odd way in how it's filmed um and it's not even odd it is just you know these the world is a beautiful place and uh, it's just you know it's odd to people yeah. Yeah. I mean it's odd to people who don't live in it yeah um, but yeah, Deacon's obvi- I mean, needs no introduction to people who know film either. But you know, he's a cinematographer that's been a long collaborator collaborated with the Coens and um and, and richly deserved an Academy Award long before he got one for um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which he um doesn't Im- like. That film was done very well with you know, Villeneuve directing, and obviously just a great film. But um, it's elevated by great cinematography and Deacon's and how he can how his input into what you know what the director wants and him being able to say yeah this is what we can do and this is what he's done with the Collins for a long time as well and um Fargo's an earlier one um I think uh, I think Blood Simple the David film it might be in Barry Sonnenfeld who's also very good but um you know he's long been a worker with the Collins and I, I just I I love the little details of films and when you when you start watching films and recognizing you know great cinematography and you go huh is that is that who that is and it's just like you look it up and it's like, yeah, it's you know, you you appreciate that's what makes you know, and even for the casual film watcher, this is what you gotta look out for is like a film like Fargo is so you know, we've talked about the character and the story and the little details that make this film so snappy in the first half, but then 
to round that out when you have such um, astute cinematography to to back back up what is going what you're putting on the screen and the dialogue and the story it it's what makes a f- elevates a film like this from very very good to an all-time great is that kind of stuff you know it's those little details it's the whole filmmaking process and um yeah it's just just looks so you know you don't see any green or you know those big western landscapes of like you know as you know a yellowstone in summer kind of look it's just um it's a lot of white and then you know inside of bars here and there but it's just every detail of it is so beautiful and it's in a weird way and it's just um, a film you can't take your eyes off in that sense and again something i didn't appreciate enough when i was in you know 16 17 watching it for the first time but now watching it it's probably one of the things that stood out to me I can't say the most because a lot of things stood out to me watching it again. But, um, yeah, just fucking looks beautiful considering there's not much traditional beauty shown on the screen in the sense of what we, we look at for your widescape, you know, 70-millimeter films of the past or whatever. But I fucking loved it. It was just looks so great. Yeah, just the, the scenes of Buscemi pulling into, you know, a, uh, the parking lot um, and yeah. doing and stealing um, the license plates and everything. Just him pulling in, like, in the middle of the day, and then also using that same shot at the middle of the night after, you know, what happens, happens. Is it... uh, It's just an amazing bit of film, is, like, that white just bursts off the screen. But, like, it's also a thing that people in the Midwest... And especially in Minnesota or North Dakota, where Fargo is, whatever, wherever you want to be in the North, it's like, you know, that's something you have to deal with all the time. Not for a a bunch of your life, but at least four to five months of your life is that's what your life is going to look like. And that's what this film does really well, especially with the score. When it comes in, like, it's a great Fargo score over just pure whiteness. And then a car comes through it. Yeah. That's like, that's what the reality of it drops you into this, uh, into this place. And you're, you, the viewer is just trying to understand everything that's going on around you. Cause you're as innocent as the cops because the cops don't, Cops aren't used to murders and stuff like that in that area. They just drop you into it, and you're supposed to be the innocent person. Yeah. Um, Sorry, yeah. I just talked forever. No, no, no. This is it's a podcast. That's what we're meant to do. <laughs> well, I just talked forever. Nobody um, needs to hear that. Well, no, you, you brought up an interesting point, like an interesting moment in the film that is exact, like a, a pinpointed moment of when I texted you about this current thing that I'm about to bring up. You know, like the 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 dropping into the whiteness and the car coming towards you as the, as the score starts. And that's the moment I texted you and said, I'm going to jerk off over Carter Burwell on the podcast. Cause again, and it's not the first time his name's been brought up. Cause we talked about him on in Bruges and he's like been around for a long time um, doing scores. And he's again, one of the Cohen collaborators, but it's um, amazing. He has such a great, like a subtlety to his scores that is also beautiful. Like it's so powerful at the same time. Like it never, it never imposes, but you notice it because it, because of its. Oh, it imposes in my opinion. Like it imposes. And it's like, yeah, it says the ton. Yeah. 
Or whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't try to it's not like um what am I trying to say? It's not trying to take over. It's just like it's a again the perfect balance in film is like um yeah it just is what it is. Yeah, like, the Coens wouldn't fucking use it unless yeah. it was. And like, wouldn't use him repeatedly if unless he was um you know had, had I just had a nuanced understanding of what they were trying to put like you know because music does just set the tone so much for film. It's such an important part of film, and one of my favorite things is you know I've listened to a lot of movie soundtracks of the ones that I enjoy, and there is a lot of Carter Burwell in my um. In my uh, playlists, as well as, uh, you know, we talked about on the Hello High Water pod, the <laughs> Nick Cave and yeah. his, his soundtracks. But yeah, Carter Burwell between his Cohen films, um, he, he did, he again, three billboards, the connection there. He did he did three billboards as well. Um, oh, well, we can talk about the soundtrack to three billboards later. Because yeah, we'll, do, we'll do that on the three billboards pod. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's amazing. His score for, you know, Fargo is just so. Just, I cried. Can I just interrupt real quick? I on cried. the three billboards one? Yeah, yeah after, there's a, there's a couple, after three billboards, I literally went into my car. There's a couple of tracks so beautiful in that one. I went into my car, figured out one of the tracks, listened to it, was driving to one of the bars around the block, and played it, and cried on my way there. So, yeah. Yeah, he's good! <laughs> He's very good. Yeah, Carter Burwell. Um, if, you, if you're a movie soundtrack person, you probably already know who he is, but it's uh, if you do enjoy listening to movie soundtracks, just look up the... Look, he uses know. a Towns Van Zandt song twice in that film. Once by Towns, once by somebody else, and he fucking murders it. And you know what? I cried to it when I... You know what? David, <laughs> you want to cut all of this out? That's fine. No, this, also, is, this, is, this is fine. Some hey, it's important. Like, well, this is the power. All of- that stuff is very important. Mm-hmm. Fargo did not make me cry this time, but <laughs> this there are parts of Fargo that could make me cry. Yeah. Yeah, because there is like, yeah. It, um, I guess going back to the film a little bit, it's very Coen Brothers in the in like even in the darkest moments of films, they can they find they've got the. the they're one of the best at it, like, and I don't think there's any any. They don't have any peer in um, the perfect mix of black comedy and in the darkest Absolutely. of moments. And may, maybe Martin McDonough in films like In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths kind of gets to that point. Like, he's got a very similar kind of yeah, but like that's kind- so far down the line from them doing what they did. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> as far as like a contemporary in the same kind of like that's the oh, only yeah, exa- right. that's the yeah. only example I can think of that is close to what the Coen Brothers do because. You know, um, yeah, there's, there's no one else that does, like, such reality-based kind of films that are also touching this weird world of dark humor that doesn't quite exist in our world, but also does in a way. And it's just like, it's just like a well, hyper, big, it's just like a hyper, hyper-realistic, like, but yeah, they just, they find, you're, you're so heartbroken at moments in films like this, like, like, the wife dying is just, you know, she she's just like, she doesn't deserve any of this, and um, I'll be, I'm going to get to the the real story of the wood chipper afterwards. Um, but yeah, you just the people that she's such an innocent party in this, and and that's so dark when you think about it. But yet, like when but that's like what but, makes but, but, this but, film so great. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But like, I mean, that's like. Well, that's a, when when he walks like, in and goes like, "What what happened to her?" And he's just like, "Oh, she was shrieking." Like. 
and they start arguing about who gets the car and the split of the money. It's just like they don't argue at all. It's just like well, they, Steve they yell, they y- yeah. Though, but he, to be fair, he got they're he, very bad people. To be fair, he all did right. get shot in the face. <laughs> kind of like if we look, if we're gonna put ourselves in their shoes and and completely dismiss morality for a second, he'd had a kind of a day. <laughs> he had, yeah, I agree with you. Like he probably like the the forty forty split um of the money, and then yeah, you can have my truck, and I'm taking the Sierra. I like I would have been like, yeah, all right, cool, dude. You've you're fucking your your jaw is just shattered, and you're bleeding profusely. Have at it. But the other guy's like, nah, I'm going to kill you and put you through a wood chipper. Well, like, the other guy is the <laughs> first person who killed someone. Yeah, he was in like... the entire scope of the of the film. Yeah, he I mean, killed... Steve, yeah. But is Buscemi kind of a dumbass for not realizing how fucking psychotic his partner was? Because he should have known... Well, we don't know what they're... What what the basis between those two people are? Yeah, like how, have they been? Huh? I I, I kind of get the feeling that they kind of they've started working together recently by the fact that they don't talk much. And they oh, play. absolutely. So I, like I, yeah. yeah, like I just think Buscemi was like a little bit too bullish about his um. He was definitely naive about yeah, it. Yeah, because that guy, I he I, shows his gun when he goes, "I'm gonna take the car." Yeah, because I got this, and then walks out the door. And then he doesn't hear the door behind him to like pull they, his gun. Crunch, crunch, what a crunch, yeah, crunch, you know, crunches, more, uh, you know yeah. we don't do, you know here on Pints and Popcorns we don't do the I love this film but because we just love films yeah That's and like, to be fair like you know in those kind of moments like he might have like if the door's opening he might be like whatever what's this guy like it, who knows like people always no like, I would think that guy was maybe gonna kill me with an axe. <laughs> or a gun, probably more so. Fucking Paul Bunyan, the Paul Bunyan he, yeah. charging out of the building with his axe. <laughs> also, I, you know, the, I, I honestly think that's what makes this film so great is that we don't understand where either of those two guys are coming from at all, mm-hmm. except that they got matched up together. We don't understand why they're matched up together yeah. at all. We don't know. Still, to this day, this movie came out in 96. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's 24 years ago. Like, we don't know why they came together. Why they were able... Why Shep knew to grab them. Why Shep was involved with anything... And that's what makes it a fucking great story, in my opinion. Yeah, and Shep should have been... This is a fucking novel. Mm. This story is a goddamn novel. Yeah, like... And the story is, is written by like a, the viewer. Or it's like a perfect three... Like, I, I can imagine, like, Fargo being, like, a 350-page, like, you know, novel in the fiction section and being, like, man, this... Like, reading the back of it and going, man, this sounds interesting. And then reading... It would be... A, yeah, you're right. It would be a great novel. We've talked about movies before that could be great plays and this is like such a deep story but so sharply yeah this couldn't be a play obviously but yeah well i do plays out of anything these days so it can be done um i can't wait to try to play (laughs) uh are you ready for the for the um the story the 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 wood the wood chipper inspiration oh do do you have any like before we start getting into random tidbits but is there anything specific you want to talk about I just feel like we've podcasted about this forever, and 
I blew it. This is what this movie is. This is what this podcast is. how I feel. Because literally the Genesis. about Fargo, and I think it's a great film, and I think they, like this is our first Coen's, mm-hmm. I think, film. I think this is our first Coen's. Yeah, it definitely is, yeah. Um, and I think it's their best, but he, yeah, let's talk about, yeah, we, let's talk about the wood chipper instead, because like, I don't really I'm like, I'm just excited to get to this part of it. Cause then I want to talk about the actual, I guess I like the wood chipper scene is very beautifully done in a dark, terrible way. I, I, I actually, the thing is, I want to talk, talk, talk about the like, It flies by so fast after you've seen it so many times. And I yeah. hate that. Like, I'm like, it's, I've been so not indoctrinated the opposite of indoctrinated sorry yeah <laughs> yeah i know what you mean um <laughs> like you become numb to it in a way i be yeah absolutely like i'm just I've like oh. so- no i'm not doing that <laughs> that wasn't bad that was not bad uh rest in peace chester um there's like so the story behind the wood chip because i want to get i want to round back to the film after i tell you about the because this is nuts. Um, I listen. There's a couple of true crime. I will send you the links after. There's a couple of true crime podcasts that talk about the real thing behind Fargo. It's like a Hollywood serial killers podcast, and um, I'll try to keep it short though. Basically, there was this um, lady called Hella Crafts who was um, from Denmark, and apparently a very very pretty young lady that um, she was a flight attendant for a, a European airline. Then um, out of 200 applicants was one of eight people from Denmark that got chosen to be a Pan Am waitress, uh, stewardess, which anyone who knows anything about Pan Am is like they basically only hired, wanted to hire very, very good looking women to be stewardesses on their airline. So she ended up based in Florida and um, met a guy that, a weird guy called Richard Crafts, who... Richard Kraft? Wait, what? Crafts, with a C and an S on Wait, the end. Wait, what? <laughs> Not, not related. To <laughs> Did he own the Patriots in the New England Patriots? I said hey. Richard Crafts. <laughs> anyway, so they they moved up to, um, moved up to New Haven, Connecticut. Um, so this is where oh, it gets very really. This is where it gets. Did he to, buy a football team, an NFL team? Then <laughs> again, Crafts with a C and then an S on the end as well. But basically, like he 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 was a weird dude that like he was a pilot. Um, and then got out of that, and he had this weird fascination with being a police officer and became a, like, he was buying stupid shit and trying to be a police officer, and in the lead-up to everything going downhill, his wife, Hella Crafts, told friends, she said, just if anything happens to me, do not treat it with, like, it's nothing. It, it Like, if anything happens, if I go missing, if anything happens to me, something sinister's probably happened. So she actually told her that her friends that she was scared for her life because of her husband. And then she did go missing. Um, she, her husband um, came home to the nanny and told the nanny that um, I need to take you all to her parents' place. Um, sorry, my parents' place. Um, Hella will be there. Um, you know, she's she's just doing her own thing. And then, but she then she wasn't there and he went home and did his thing and then um for the next couple of weeks friends are calling her friends immediately um thankfully that's how this all got solved basically it was her friends raised the alarm straight away and said and he was telling different stories and he always had a story as to why she wasn't around it was like oh she's she's gone she's like on another job she's gone you know stewardess job to um you know because she'd fly to you know you do european legs and stuff like that or she's up at her parents 
And then finally, when uh, when all these stories became like they were like, no, there's something wrong. He said, well, actually, she just left me. Like, I'm really sad, and that's why I didn't want to tell you guys the real story. And so even that was kind of a story in itself because you'd be like, oh, he was sad, so he was trying to make excuses. But then she just didn't turn up. And so what the police started finding was that he'd bought a freezer and then rented a wood chipper um, around the same time that she went missing. Um, and what he'd done, and also a chainsaw, what he'd done was he'd bludgeoned her to death, um, stuck her in the freezer. Once she was... Bludgeoned. <laughs> once she was stone cold frozen, um, he'd then taken her out to Lake Zor, which is, I looked up, is about 24 miles from Wallingford. So it's very close to you. He'd taken her out, taken her out to this lake. Wallingford! <laughs> He'd taken, yeah. he'd taken her out to this lake um, and dismembered her frozen body and then fed it through a wood chipper. And, and the only reason they, they... I'm shortening the story. You should go listen to it or read up on it, um, anyone that's listening, to get the full like nuances of it. But basically, someone had seen him with the truck taking this wood chipper, or someone had seen someone with this wood chipper take it to Lake Zor, like seen it parked at Lake Zor that morning. So it's like the film. Yeah, and and and, and they, they hadn't actually seen the act of the body, but then the police took all this information and said, okay, we got to go and check the scene, and they started finding very tiny, tiny bits of human, basically, um, in the water, and they found a toe and a tooth and luckily just somehow they were able to they matched one of the teeth to um poor helicraft's um, dental records and it was the first case in connecticut i think that they were able they actually declared someone dead without actually having a body it was the first case that they'd ever been able to do that because of the dental records thankfully but and then richard crafts was uh, tried and arrested and put in prison for 50 years and then released in january 2020 and he's in a halfway house in new haven right now Oh, uh, it's probably like one of my best friends coming up because I don't have friends here. That's the bottom line. So is, I, that's you know, the, that I'm was looking the for anybody. That was the kicker for me was the fact that he's been released like I think 20 years before is okay because this happened in 1987 as oh, 1986. Um, so he's been released a, a good 30 years before he should, a uh, good 20 years before he sh- is, I guess, I don't know whether he got good behavior or something, but. It's still a weird justice system when a guy that decided to cut up his wife and put him through a wood chipper uh, gets out early and gets he's he's just living in a living in a halfway house on parole I guess in New Haven somewhere so um, just keep an eye. It's like but there's it's actually an incredibly incredibly sad story so I don't want to don't want to. Gloss over that. Yeah, that, we, that, were, that, is, that is, we, is, we weren't it. trying to make light of this. No, at I all. just think it's it's fascinating that that is the actual story behind because the wood chipper scene in Fargo is iconic, right? And people talk about it all the time as an iconic movie scene. The people that have seen the film and and enjoy the film, you know, it's obviously one of the great kind of iconic and you know because there's no other film really has used a wood chipper in such a way, particularly with the um the stark snow with the blood because I actually. It was gr- like I, I watch a lot of horror movies and it takes a lot to make my stomach change. I was just watching it this morning because of the the based realism of the film and how you know you can watch the Evil Dead like the remake is one of the most gory films I've ever seen because it's kind of it, you know it's based you know demons and shit like you kind of just you you compartmentalize it as not real and so a chainsaw cutting a demon in half and blood going everywhere doesn't really compute to you as anything real but then when you're watching a real human in a film that's based in reality like fargo being put through a wood chipper and a guy trying to shove the foot through it's like 
I mean, the it, first time it, it, it churned, it churned, it churned, it churned, my, really stu- it churned my stomach more than ho- most of the horror movies I watch because of the subconscious thing. You you do it like you do a thing in your mind where you're like, that's real or it could be real, so that's disgusting. And then, especially because I listen to these podcasts about the actual thing, um, and again, it's uh, incredibly sad, and um, that man should still be in prison uh, to me because I just don't think there's any rectifying someone who it would did. do something like that. So, uh, just like Jerry in this film was. Um, you know, even if he didn't do any of that stuff, he was. I think there's a cold heartedness to him, and as well as the criminals in the film too. So, he's, I mean, he's the he's the bad guy in this yeah. film. He, when said, it really he says the whole he says the whole thing, and you know, I was I was thinking about Hell or High Water today too. Like, um, you know, the conversation they have at the end of the film is like, I didn't do anything. He's like, you set this whole thing in motion. You killed those men by setting this whole thing in motion. And then Jerry's kind of got that complicity on him too. He didn't. He's not involved in any actual crimes that are committed the heavy crimes that are committed but literally his actions of hiring these men sets the whole thing in motion there's that innocent couple that drove past and crashed and died um you know the, the state trooper that pulled him over and all all those people don't die unless right it's only jerry and his stupid whatever shit he's well i mean into. the fact that the state trooper gets like shot in the head immediately mm. I, I don't think like even like Steve Buscemi's character was ready for that no no because he, he looks shocked afterwards with half the um, blood sprayed on his face whoa daddy yeah <laughs> again just great di- just great little dialogue quips that they have yeah I mean the Coen brothers are obviously kings yeah I mean yeah yeah they uh yeah they yeah that's Every every line of dialogue is uh, expertly planned. I guess is the way of best way of putting it. You know, they don't they don't mince. They, I feel uh, that way about their shots as well. Yeah, and like I wanted to talk about that, but like yeah, do it. We've already talked about it. No, no like, we can, we can the intro, back. the intro of them showing, you know, just pure whiteness mm. on the screen. It's just a white shot. It's literally a white shot of the reality and then a car cutting through it after you know a minute maybe yeah with just that that's such a powerful shot like it's a it's extremely powerful Mm. it's just sitting there and you know like with the music playing it's just an amazing shot yeah yeah everything they do it's just like that's what separates so, so many of the bad films that exist um you know, and there's not like, you know, they've all got their place, but, you know, I, the films that really stick with you and you rewatch for reasons more than just, um, you know, <laughs> as much as I love, you know, your diehard films and stuff like that, you rewatch them for different reasons. That's more for just an escapism, but you watch films like this for uh, beauty, both in the acting and then the uh, cinematography, um, and then just the story and the, how it makes you feel too. And every time you watch Fargo, it'll probably make you feel a little bit different because it depends where you are at that moment. You know, it might be just that you you kind of mad at the the crimes that are being committed, and then you might notice the the character subtle character dy- dynamics of um you know Frances McDormand's Marge and how she's where where she is in life at that current moment. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of subtle stories of hum- humanity going on underneath the actual action events of the film, which is what makes a film so great is the fact that you can infuse a story like like just having just having marge being pregnant throughout the film it's just like there's no actual real you know there's no reason for it but it's it's just just there it's part of her character and it's an amazing part and like 
all oh man all of the characters based around it are just amazing because oh man they're so real and like again this film came out in 1996 so like like people are mad when they come back and watch it and they're like oh yeah it didn't blow my mind it's like well imagine being in 1996 when <laughs> like yeah but then the, the people that say Bugger with isn't blowing their mind are probably thinking avengers avengers infinity war blew their mind which as much as I enjoy the entertainment aspect of Avengers and Marvel films... Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've never even gotten close to talking about how we disagree on all of that. But, yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. It's like people... like people, Well, like it's 96, That's what I mean dude. is people have different dif- different definitions of mind-blowing and some people want their minds blown by literally literal explosions and stuff going on, whereas, you know, your mind can be blown with s- the subtleties of storytelling, which is what Fargo is. And, and uh, you know, I... I Anyone that, yeah, like I said, I didn't. I, my mind wasn't blown by it at sixteen, and then you know, at thirty-two, when I've rewatched it after a ten-year break, I'm like, just found a whole new appreciation for it. So, you know, some people just will take their time, and hopefully, everyone will get there. But you know, some people won't, and that's that's their prerogative. The film's successful, and um, obviously has a cultural niche now that uh, reawakened by uh, the uh, TV series. So it just shows that it's um, it's had a significant impact, regardless of. Um, anyone's misgivings about it which is good yeah i mean i don't think there can be misgivings about it at this point no there shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be it's just some people just don't understand it. it's like people that some people don't understand uh you know films like um, i mean uh, just in in my mind while anything was, yeah, because yeah, you yeah. keep because you keep saying it came out in 96 and i keep thinking about the run we had with you know pulp fiction in 94 was such a genre break genre bending breaking groundbreaking film and then you have fargo in 96 it's like god what a run like and i'm sure there's some other movies i could find in there that fuck the usual suspects was in what was in that period as well somewhere was it was that a bit like i mean that's an amazing yeah. film as well and like the yeah, entire thing is that like great films were being made and like expanding the genre of mm-hmm. what we like think as film but, but the way they were looked at including you know especially the usual suspect i think is like they were like like people look at those as though they're beyond you know, a cultural hit, I guess. I don't know how to really describe it because Fargo was obviously not a cult. Like it was going to be a box office smash. Mm -hmm. And I don't think usual suspects was either. I don't think either of those films are going to be that. Yeah. But they're both expected to be back then in the mid nineties. And now we're like, you know, 25 years later and it just be, it becomes hard to like, you know, because we're trying to break down what films really mean to people 25 years later from that, it, it gets hard mm-hmm. because I don't think people are really prepared for any of those films, whether whether it's Usual Suspects, you know, Fargo, yeah. you know, any of those films in the mid-90s. We were kids, obviously, but like, you know, yeah, I guess we, we still have that now, don't we? As we, we have films come out now that we're just not quite. I don't know what 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 film is coming out right now that like neither you or I, you and you or I could handle. Oh, not hand, not handle. Sorry, I just mean ones that blow our minds and we didn't realize 
we needed but expected, uh, you know, that make us think the think about the world in an entirely different way. I'm going back to last week's podcast. Like, Hello High Water was like a legitimately game changing film for me. It just made me look at the world in a certain way. And it's not, no, I you're think, right. I think you're I said right. on the you're podcast, right. like, it, it didn't change, it didn't like inform me of anything that I didn't already know of, but it crystallized ideas and made me made me realize that the people are actually seeing it the same way and and that the world is a lot more fraught with uh the fracture of what's going on with the last 10 15 years of you know financial collapse and whatever else and so like you know hello high water was like a movie that really like was a genre like a a defining moment in my film watching career i guess and i uh, yeah whether and i feel like fargo might have had a you know that that era of films like fargo and um, pulp fiction as well were similar kind of Set the tone. They set the yeah, tone. Yeah, for someone that was twenty five, thirty at that time, I feel like might have had the same, a similar experience to me watching a Hell or High Water or, a, um, yeah, just just films of that nature. And you know, I, I, in Bruges certainly was a film that um, you know it's ten years prior to Hell or High Water for me. That when I went and saw that at cinema and with podcasts, I'm just bringing up ones that were podcasted about. So it's not like, um, uh, yeah, in Bruges was another one that just like just looked at the world in a slightly different way with it and again very similar like just the not that they're i'm not saying martin mcdonough is the cohen brothers or the cohen brother they, they've they've got their own unique style but they have a i can tell that they probably have a similar lens to the world like um very cynical and absolutely and yeah. but also uh, they have a cynical look at the world and understand it in a very uh, on a very rural level but also um you know go well fuck it this is what we're dealing with so we might as well have some fun with it you know <laughs> like you know. I mean, I think that's like th- what it all ends up being, in my opinion. Honestly, all right, if we're like, what we, need, what we need as 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 viewers is like, um, <laughs> as viewers that have a similar cynical uh, lens of the world is like, you need it. It helps you deal with the world, but like you know, sometimes we just have to deal with the world by either listening to music that helps us get through it, and sometimes it's watching films. Misty cups. <laughs> Misty cups. Misty cups. Yeah, you walk, yeah, walk by, yeah, walk by my door out here. <laughs> Misty cups. Um, I live in Misty cups. Yeah, well, yeah. David and I created Misty cups. I pontificated about it, and now you know it's a thing. But also, I can't believe this is how far our Fargo conversation has gone. You can't believe it's gone this far gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, I blew it. I'm not gonna. No, lie. no. This is like this has been a really good chat because it's like you know the uh, the genesis of Pints of Popcorn wasn't just to just talk about a film and say we like this movie. It was to talk about why this movie makes us feel certain movies make us feel certain ways. So, um, Fargo, gen- like, is I we've found out through. Um, I don't know. I think I blew it. I think I blew it. This podcast. You say this every time you get you you have drinks on the podcast because you you you're well. You know that's so, just how it's gonna be. On you're the you're a self critical yeah. man, and I I appreciate that you have high standards for yourself, but you've done well, so you're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I have high standards for. I I was just having this conversation. As well. I was just having this conversation. <laughs> I I had an employee apologizing. Are to you me. Timbers playing tonight? Yeah, yep. they are. Apparently, they sure are. <laughs> <laughs> they sure are. You betcha. <laughs> yeah, how yep. dare you? Oh, you motherfucker. You motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I can do Australian accents too. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> See? I sound like I am in Fargo. 
That's why it's so fucking funny. I'll never forget. All right, this is all on air. This is all on air. Yeah, you can keep tuning out. But uh, I sent uh, my reel, my TV reel, which I don't want to be on TV at all. You know me. I don't. Yeah, yeah, no, you're very much. I just had to do it for for school. I sent it to a friend in Oregon, and she was just like, "Oh my god, you sound so Nebraskan." (laughs) I'm like, "What the fuck?" I don't think I sound naturally Nebraskan, but whatever. All right, it's just like we need to end this podcast. Uh, well, we've still got to get to our favorite part, um, which is the. Uh, oh yeah, we're not even close to the end of it. Oh well, no, it's just tomatoes. So. Um, oh yeah, the tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else did you have? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I wish this pod would have gone a lot better. Just no. Overall, this is I've real. Well, this is I fucked up. That's my bad. No, I believe I my really God. enjoyed this pod. Well, I, I was going to ask, ask one thing before we get to the um, tomatoes. What is your favorite scene of this movie? Because we've talked about doing this, and I just I this movie has a, a scene that I really enjoyed. In it. There's a lot of them, but there's one in particular I think is just so important to kind of the overall nature of the film. All right, give me your favorite scene and I will okay. respond to my, my favorite scene. My, I don't want to steal. Mine is when uh, Marge goes back into Jerry's office for the second time and interrogates yep. him. Yeah, amazing scene. Yeah, and like amazing. it is such a great acting back and forth. It is like when we were talking about in Hella High Water um, with the verbal shootout that they have at the end. That is their shootout in this movie. They It's verbal sparring. The the gush da- the the the, the, the darn tootin' as he's angry, an angry darn tootin' is uh, da- like but like William H. Macy. I'll go do a lot count. <laughs> I'll go do a lot count. As he's I just angrily you. throwing his jacket on and throwing his hat on, and he's like, and he's and like so McDormand. He's fleeing the scene. McDormand McDormand is great in that scene. She's got the eyes Absolutely. and the, and the, the, kills the entire yeah. She's film. like, you don't have to get snippy with me, but then like William H Macy like gets to her level in that scene as well and that's what makes it great is they're both just at each other and with and it's that but it's that like yeah it's acting at each other yeah i love it's that comi- yeah, you're that, right you're it's right. that black comedy of the scene where they're both so fucking nice to each other even though they're incredibly well francis mcdormand's not angry she's like inquisitive because she's like realizing as she's seeing his and it, it's william h macy's facial expressions because he does that little like He's rubbing his face and his eyes are twitching a little bit, and you can, and then it goes back. To Amazing him, actor, yeah. And it goes back to McDormand, and you can see that they're showing that she's seeing his uncomfortableness, and she's registering it at and the time. reading so, off it. Yeah, so there's yeah, so much yeah. good dialogue, but then there's so much unsaid with the expressions too, and it's just such a great scene. It's just so good. So that's well, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's obviously an amazing scene. Yeah. I th- I, I mean, I think you stole. I think you stole. I gave you the opportunity. You just sprung on me. <laughs> All right, we're going to do the best scene of the movies we do. You're, you, but there's a little clip. There's a little clip. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the best clip, but I'm picking it right now. I'm picking it right now. Is for my favorite scene is Steve Buscemi, George, or whatever. The other guy's name is Gur. I just say Gur now. <laughs> We're gonna say Gur. 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 After they fuck, the 
and they're just sitting there. Like with they're the both just sitting there. The females are sitting there. The men are sitting there, and they're watching like some sort of insane show, mm-hmm. like on repeat. That's my favorite scene. And then Gers- it's just them literally sitting there. Yeah. After we've already seen them, like both Steve Buscemi and Ger fucking in the same room like we've already seen it mm. and then you cut back to that after another scene i think that's an amazing uh, the cohen's fucking killed it on yeah. this the cohen's killed it and the cohen's showing both guys after fucking basically prostitutes you know i don't i don't think you have to say basically i think they were yeah right i mean yeah i'm just trying to be like you know, it's 2020. I'm just trying to be. No, yeah. it's, it's like let's let's not like we're not king shaming like pros. It's like yeah, sex workers. Hey, if you like, if you're a sex worker, I'm all for you. Yeah, is Le- my bottom. Legalize it everywhere so they can have the same work rights and everything. And absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. I, I yeah, I just I, want to clear that right yeah. there. But like that scene is it like is hilarious because one of my most yeah. memorable scenes. Yeah, especially because them sitting there. And then Gur is like sitting there, like not moving, and the cigarette, the half lit cigarette, is just hanging out of his the corner of his mouth too, as it is most of the film, really. But it is such a, it is just such a one of those subtle details of the scene too. So yeah, I agree. That's just such a good like subtle one as well. Like I I I picked the, I mean, I, the whole film is a scene, my best yeah. scene, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Uh, to interrupt you, it really is. No, you're just like oh, did you, like is it like when those two girls that were banging them were talking to Francis McDormand. <laughs> yeah. That whole scene is like maybe my favorite scene. He's kind. Of, he's oh, kind he's of, just kind of funny looking. Yeah. And he's like, oh, what? He's like, oh, he's uncircumcised, and she's like, <laughs> well, beyond that, yeah, she, yeah, he was on, yeah, he's funnily looking beyond that, and it's like, yeah, I, yeah, like, Francis McDormand's like, do you whole, have any? Like all of Fargo is fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's a fucking hilarious film, and I don't have a scene. That's one of the many moments where she does that, like, wide-eyed, like, when she's asking a question, she goes... Wide-eyed, yeah, do, do absolutely, you, do yeah. Do you have any specifics? <laughs> like, after the funny-looking bit? No, just, he just fucking looks weird, and I funny completely looking. Do you, understand how, where the chicks are coming from Yeah, it's super shit. <laughs> Just imagine one of them like it would be super meta. Like, he's kind of funny looking in a Steve Buscemi kind of way. Because <laughs> that's the only way that you describe that character who is Steve. Because he's like, Steve Buscemi is obviously... Steve Buscemi is super because, fucking like, funny looking. Because we talked about this when we did Black Klansman. That's Buscemi's brother. And I was like, when I watched that film... Without, Wait, what? Yeah, that ca- Wait, what? that cop in Black Klansman, like the one that's like the th- third guy with Adam Driver and um, John David Washington, that's Buscemi's brother. And I remember watching that film like, hey, he looks kind of like Buscemi because he's... Like, <laughs> we talk- what? We talked about this on the... I, I, I've blown your t- mind twice now with the same fact, I think, because I, I think I... I told you that back then. Not the dude that was in Richard Jewell, right? No, no, no. The the cop that's with the because that guy's my favorite. <laughs> um, that guy exactly. Yeah. Except no, I mean, not, he's not not my not because he's a follower because he's quote unquote a follower. No, I'm talking about the guy that's actually working. I'm talking about the one that's working with like you know the scene where they talk like running through the plan for infiltrating. There's like. 
There's Adam Driver, there's John David Washington, and there's the third guy that looks like Steve Buscemi because it is his brother. <laughs> that guy, the one that's work that's working with them and helping them to. I'm just gonna game. Google it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I fucked my, up this entire my, podcast. No, if no. We, if is, we need to redo this entire podcast, no, this is this is perfect. I'm very happy with it. Um, but yeah, that's like exactly how you describe Steve Buscemi. Is like he's very unique look. Um, the other one that just came to mind. It's not a scene. It's just a line. I love when he's they're talking to the guy outside the bar that you were talking about earlier, and they're like, "Oh, it's gonna come in cold tomorrow." Like. <laughs> There's a there's a cold front coming as they're standing in the snow in. I'm literally pushing bullshit off of my driveway. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, gonna yeah. get cold later. Like God, that that to me is someone who. Yeah, comes that's to... reality. That, and then I guess West. I have that in like in Australia, like you know when like because you know English people like you hear in England the heat wave is when it gets to thirty degrees Celsius Celsius in 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 Australia we're like oh that's a break from the heat in summer so. <laughs> It's like, you know, everyone's got different definitions of what is normal for their, their, their relative temperatures. And that was just such a good, unique look into, like, what kind of world they're living in without without pushing it on you. You're just like, oh, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> like, it's really fucking cold. I'm trying to figure out the picture of Steve Buscemi's brother. I, I, I'm, okay, <laughs> I'm going to find it for you. No, it's okay. We're on air. Yeah, right now. Um, I'll find so. it for you after. Um, all right, let's get to I mean, that. I see him. I, like, I have him pulled up. Steve Buscemi brother, but like, yeah. I'll send you a scene after or something if we if you don't find it. But let's get to the tomatoes. Tomatoes. <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting one. Um, Fuck everybody who lives around the. <laughs> um, so this one's got an eight point one out of ten on IMDb, which is um, pretty good because IMDb often a lot of good films will be sub eight still. Uh, has 85% on Metacritic, 88% of Google users on the thumbs up, thumbs down like it, which is pretty damn good. And it has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not high enough. 97. 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. We did it. We found a movie that Shay goes higher. I, I, yeah, I, I don't... I, I think this movie I need is a, very I good. Need, I need I a button. I don't have a button that does a, like, fireworks, but I'll just do that. And well, I just... I just broke my microphone. The button is if you made it through what I like the entire podcast. <laughs> because now you get a button. <laughs> because everything's happened. But I do think I would give this a 97. Yeah. I think Fargo is the Coen Brothers' best film. And I think I am shocked at how short it is. You and I talked about that mm-hmm. off air. But. I think it's an amazing film, and I think it's their best. So I'll yeah. say that. Guess what? I'm at 97 as well. I think it's an A plot. Like, in my head, I, in my head, I went to like what like our grading ratings was in college, and I think a 97 got you into A plus territory, possibly. And I was like, I mean, 97 is definitely A plus. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this is an A plus film. But I, mean, but is it? I I don't know. Just just go with me. <laughs> I think it's a great film. Yeah, I think I like, and I'm very glad we agree on this one. I, and I think, like, look, 94. I just sit there and go, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it's at that. And like, we've we've talked plenty of times before that we don't actually take these ratings as gospel. We're just using it as a way of rating it, like doing a comparison ourselves. But yeah, I think I think this film's so close to perfect, um, and especially for a film that um, is still very early 
you know, this is like 12 years after their debut film. So they're, they're getting into their stride. But then, you know, Lebowski, No Country. Oh, fuck. Yeah, they're not Yeah, so when when they're making films... When they're making films this this fucking close to perfect, like, and they're not even not even into the, you know, because what do we we got like just so many great films and they're still coming out with great films, but like, yeah, this this film is, um, yeah, just so every and we've talked about it already. All the between the cinematography, their their writing, their direction, the acting, and the and the music as well. Um, it's just so just. Um, and it's uh, you know it's um, very well known and like I said it's got a cultural niche with the the TV series and everything now like it's not like it's not known it's just it still feels weirdly underrated because of their other I mean because like the Big Lebowski absolutely because because no, you have I the Big Lebowski because you have the Big Lebowski has the iconic dude character and all that stuff you know don't fucking Roland Sharvis and all those iconic lines right right, right. then you got yeah. no country being yeah. a true serious like a real serious film in their category that, that got them that, that a real academy awards hall even though fargo is well respected because of what they've done since it still seems underrated um and you know like obviously to say fargo is underrated because their other films are so good is a good thing but it's also it also sucks that i don't think enough people probably see fargo because they just go back to those other ones so yeah, a lot. More, I agree. A lot more people who maybe like me had seen Fargo years ago and hadn't re- revisited for a while probably need to, and and that's why I'm I'm glad you glad you suggested it with the series coming up that we do it because it it made me go back and watch it again, and um and a lot more people need to because maybe a lot of people are like me and just go back and watch No Country a bunch, and um, Fargo is equally deserving of as much as many watches as uh, No Country because it is. I said to you, I think they're the one A and one B of their like because I I love the Big Lebowski, but I I put Fargo and um, No Country above the the Big Lebowski, and they're they're different films, but they they're that you know oh they're way different films yeah. and like definitely like I mean the Big Lebowski like we'll do it. At some I watched point. that when, like for the first time when I was like ten because my dad knew about Fargo, like my dad knew that. Fargo was a good film, and so like this is way back in the day when you had to rent fucking like on tape. Yeah, I did. I did that. Like, I I remember those days very well. (laughs) Well, yeah. So yeah, we all do, but like we're also like in our early thirties. So hopefully, there's some people listening to this podcast in the between the fifteen to twenty range who have no idea what renting on tape was like, and um. You know, just enjoy that luxury because <laughs> as much as I miss the video store, it also sucked having a tape that would scratch halfway through. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a whole different reality, yeah. too. But, like, I know Fargo. I know um, the Coen brothers. Like, I've known the Coen brothers since I was a fucking... Before I was a teen because... Since you're a tyke. Yeah, exactly. Because I had a good father, but... Shout At the same Ron. point. Shout out, Ron. <laughs> Shout out, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> what even is that? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good film. I like wish I would have like said more about it. It was good. I was surprised that it was only an hour and thirty eight minutes long. In retrospect, yeah, you texted that to me. Yesterday or this morning, I can't remember. The time is a flat circle, but yeah, you you said like, how was this film? Only like an hour and thirty eight. It's just like genuinely surprised. Because growing up, it's like growing up with being like you know, I'm thirty one, you're thirty two. Mm-hmm. Like growing up, 
in America, it was like a big deal when this film came out in what I was seven, you were eight um, at that point. And it was just like, like, so by the time you and I grew up, it was supposed to be the like, oh, Fario. Like by the time you're an adult or a young adult, you should understand this. So, so you watch it when you're a young adult, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was... I think it means more now to us than it meant to them at that point. Yeah, but I think it's interesting. Like when you go back to watch a movie like that, when you sing, because it's a movie about people in periods of their lives too, and you. When you're in a different period of your life, movies will mean something different if they do have a grounded reality in what people's lives are at a time. So it's just an interesting... It is interesting to go back and watch films and see how you feel differently about them. So, But this, it's just such an under... Like, I can't believe I'm saying a Coen Brothers film is underrated because, you know, they're all... There's a lot of reverence, um, deservedly so, for what they do. But um, I think with... As I said, so much respect goes towards No Country and Big Lebowski for deserved reasons, but I think Fargo probably just misses out on a bit of it because of because well, of Well Big Lebowski, you know, it took over at some point and like Big Lebowski was an absolute flop. It came after Fargo. Mm. Like that's a big That's uh, a cult that's a there's a real cult hit is for the Big Lebowski and it's a, I mean it's a, even It a, was a cult hit, but like now the cult like what what being a cult in like 1998 when you know the cult idea behind well whatever i no, watch way not... too many horror movies for this many mentions of the word cult in the same sentence well the idea <laughs> that like i don't know when the big lebowski cult really took over but it was a big thing and it was because they do like they do. Um, I've even talked about trying to do it because um, if anyone knows my off-air activities, it's helping my family run a bowling alley. Is like try to do a big Lebowski night there, like just to just because people just associate it with you know. Um, fly me in, fly me in, Senior Werner. I'm down. I'll be there. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. That's just true. just because like you know it, it does. Uh, it is an amazing. It is. Quite amazing how it captures league bowling so perfectly now that I've worked in a center. Um, and as well as just, you know, the opening scene of the, uh, the uh, like, and that's, uh, let's, I'm, I'm going to hold, I'm going to save my thoughts on that for when we do Big Lebowski because I have a lot of thoughts about how they captured this. Well, we're not going to do Big Lebowski for a long time. No, it's fine. Like... I will still have all my memories of what, like, now having worked in a goddamn bowling alley for this long. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about how the subtleties of you know the big Lebowski. Let's wrap this fucking shit right. up. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've I fucked up our entire pod. No, you didn't. It's been a great pod. Um very happy with this one. Um very glad we did Fargo. You got season four of you got season the four of Fargo dropping on Netflix, I believe, is it? <laughs> uh, so season four of Netflix is dropping. We're not sponsored at all by this, by the way. We're just giving a plug, but um, yeah. Well, oh, obviously we're not sponsored. Imagine us being sponsored. Yeah, yeah. I I drink a lot more beer because I wouldn't have to buy it. But um, yeah, uh, raise our pints. Um, uh, uh, fucking millionth of the day to. Fargo, one of the, you know we're going to do plenty more Coen Brothers movies, but I'm glad we started with this one because this is, um, as Shay said, their best. Um, and uh, yeah, 
just a just a brilliant film that everyone needs to go back and revisit uh, multiple times uh, over their lives because I think it's one that's just uh, going to be perennially great. So until next time, Shay, we'll. Uh, pause. No, David, keep uh, talking. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, you know, it's just a it's just a great film, and I'm so and Sh- even though Shay keeps saying he fucked it up, it's been a great pod. It is what the genesis of Pints of Popcorn is is uh, talking about films and how they make us feel. As much as the films themselves, how they actually make us feel as people, as viewers, especially a film that's 24 years old, is great to like kind of come at it without you know this this far down the track and and see how our uh, minds, especially after a year like 2020, has uh, made us feel, <laughs> and we go back to a movie like Fargo, and um, you kind of gain a new appreciate appreciation for it. So, um, you ready for it? All right, I'll raise my pint. Uh, to uh, to Fargo and uh, until next time Shay we'll uh, pour some pints roll some film and pop some corn whoa daddy Thank you.